Well, good morning, everyone. We are enjoying spring at our house, the fresh green grass and planting new things. Last spring, we were excited to plant in our backyard in planters something we enjoy very much, blueberries. More specific, blueberry bushes. You can see the picture on the screens. We've got a couple of healthy little growing blueberry bushes, one more than the other, but that's okay. Uh, And we're looking forward to the berries they will produce. But full disclosure, we planted three blueberry bushes. One, two, three. (laughs) This one even has buds on it, but I don't think they're going to finish budding. Um, The reality for this, um, some call it a bearded stick, is it is dead. It is a dead blueberry bush. And in contrast to our alive, growing blueberry bushes, we have a different set of expectations and realities uh, from our various bushes. And in our scripture text today, in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is describing a person with two different realities. There's the reality from which he came that was dead, and the reality to which he now lives with life. So we are going to turn in our text today to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be verses 12 through 17. We're going to be going there a lot. So as you're turning there, I'm going to just read through these verses as we get started. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In this text, the Apostle Paul describes the reality of how the Holy Spirit, whom we focus on this Pentecost Sunday, leads the believer in Jesus from death to life, from slavery to adoption, and from destitution to riches. So before we dig in, roll up our sleeves today, could we just pray one more time and invite the same Holy Spirit to teach us? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can gather this morning in your name. I pray that as we read your scriptures, as we discuss them together, would you, Holy Spirit, apply them to our hearts? I pray for any who come this morning or are tuning in online who need to know the hope that they can be saved from their sins, brought from death to life. I pray for those who come clinging to that hope, believing in Jesus, that you would remind and renew and refresh them with the truths of your gospel and the power of your spirit at work in them even now. So we invite you to have your will in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So then, right there at the beginning of our text, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
And there is the unhappy reality of Romans 1 through 3. If you have read through that recently, or if you go home and decide to power read it, go for it. And the message you will see over and over again is that we have all sinned, all have fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of our sin is death. And Paul uses this word flesh as a representation of our sinful nature. We all like to think of ourselves generally, positively, as good people. But the reality is, when we were born into this world, we were born with a sinful nature. If you don't believe me, how many of you have sat around the table as a family, if you had one or if you grew up with one, and your parents were leaning into your young child and you were you know, helping the child learn to speak, and you say, no, now repeat after me, say this, mine. And you teach them the word mine. And then you go on to the harder ones where you say, now say this with a wagging finger, no! Now go over to your brother and just smack. We don't. Parents, don't do that. But chances are your kids come into this world with a knowledge and a skill and an expertise in doing what is wrong. Because that is us. That is you and I. And that's what Paul is saying, is that in the flesh, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Not only that, but we as sinners lack any spiritual good in ourselves. We lack the ability to do anything that will in itself please God. And the ability to come to God in our own strength, we haven't got it. Paul says those who are in the flesh, in Romans 8, 8, cannot please God. Gee, thanks, Ben. Right? We come this morning, we're religious, we're doing the right things. You're, you're good relatives, you're good neighbors, you're maybe a good kid in your family, but none of that is good enough for you to be able to be forgiven, for you to have a relationship with God. And that's where our text goes. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But... If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In the Bible, there are a few key places where those, those buts, B-U-T's, are the most amazing hinge turning points that give such hope and encouragement. I want to read to you from another of Paul's letters in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, and you're going to hear some very similar language that we just read. And I want you to listen for the but and the hope that follows, just like our passage. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. But it's a ray of hope where we see that although we in our own sins are dead, some of you have green thumbs out there and you're good with plants. I am sorry, there is nothing left for this bush. You cannot revive it. And the same is true for our hearts. We could be skilled at being good, but we cannot revive it. We need something with life to be substituted in our place. Like the cross. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross, but Christ came with life in himself and took our place. To help you remember this point, I have a picture in my backyard where this used to sit. And now there is a bush with life in it, substituted and taking its place. And that is what we need through the gospel, through hope and belief in Jesus Christ, where the Holy Spirit, as we put our faith in Jesus for salvation, moves us from death to life. And as we continue reading, we see how we are led from slavery to adoption. Verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I love that language where we can come as believers in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We can come to God and cry out to him, Abba, Daddy. We have an intimate and secure access before our Heavenly Father. And this next verse, verse 16 The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In in Roman adoption practices, the context and the culture when this was written, if there was to be a legal adoption, there was to be a witness. And in Scripture, we see that we have a witness that says, yes, it is genuine, it is true, you are a child of God. Sometimes it's easy to doubt. I remember being little and going to Sunday school and going to VBSs like we've heard about. And, and you know, you pray the prayer once, twice, and three times sometimes, and you wonder, man, did this really take? Do I, how do I know that God really loves me? And maybe even as a grown-up, sometimes we come into some of those doubts because we're still struggling against the flesh. We're frustrated and we think, Jeepers, if I was a good Christian, I would be so much more like Pastor Kevin or whomever. But we all struggle in our own flesh. That is why Paul writes this. And when we hear those voices of doubt, voices of accusation, we have another voice, the Holy Spirit, speaking over you. We are children of God. That is the truth of Scripture. Amen? We are children. But we jumped past the bit in verse 14. Paul is saying, if you're led by the Spirit, you're a son of God. Amen? But wait a minute. If you're led, that's a hope. That as a believer in Jesus, you can be led by the Holy Spirit. You can dig more into this in Galatians chapter 5. And there Paul gives different verbs that describe what does it mean to be led by the Spirit. And he talks about walking with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led 
by the Spirit. The ESV commentary in the study Bible says, walk by the Spirit implies both direction and empowerment. That is, making decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and acting with spiritual power that the Spirit supplies. To walk in Scripture regularly represents a pattern of conduct in all of one's life. So being led by the Spirit, that's one of those new expectations. In fact, there's a list of what that looks like in Galatians 5 called the fruits of the Spirit. And if you are made alive, though you were once dead, you bear fruit. And you are no longer slaves to sin, as it says. We are not given the spirit of, a, of slavery to fall back into fear. But we still live in that tension where we are children of God, but Paul says we are still putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And sometimes our deeds of the flesh are, take the form of idols, things that we look to to make us happy, secure, significant, apart from God. There are good things like wealth that he gives us. But if we're looking to that to make us happy, if we look to our wealth to make us safe and secure or significant, apart from the fact that we are children and adopted child of God, if we're looking to our wealth and worshiping it, what happens when our job or the economy gets shaky? There is a deep panic There is a fear, there is anxiety that grips our lives because what we're trusting in is in jeopardy. And that's fear and slavery to idols. Or it could be, maybe not wealth, it could be any number of things, relationships. If you're looking to your family, your friends, or if you're of that age, that cute boy or girl, to make you really happy, secure, and significant, and something goes bad, those relationships go on the rocks, you live in fear. What's going to happen? In fact, I've been going through a devotional called Connect to the Testaments. I highly recommend it. And it says, if we follow the Spirit, here's its quote, if we follow Him with our entire being, idolatry will be revealed for what it is, a thief and a glutton, stealing the very lives God has in store for us. If we seek God with all our being, idolatry will hold no power over us. It will die from neglect while our lives take on new vitality as we boldly proclaim the glory of our life-giving God. What idol stands between you and the life God has for you? I love the picture in Romans 13, verse 14. It says, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Christ Jesus. Now you all are looking very fancy this morning. And you got your duds on, you're looking good. Now, imagine going through that process in the morning where you are you're being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Put on, then, the Lord Christ Jesus. And then the verse goes on to say, and do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, as we walk by the Spirit, as we look to Jesus, as we're in intimate relationship with our Abba Father, there's a neglect that happens that kills the flesh. In our staff meetings on Wednesdays, we talk about what we're going to be preaching about on Sunday, and we encourage one another, and frequently in those meetings, things get said that later get quoted. So I'm going to quote our Pastor Kevin here. Putting to death 
It is an action, or there's part of it that's neglect of this and focus on the Spirit. The death happens because it is not fed. I love what a song that we're going to close with in this service says. It says, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ who lives in me. Romans 6, 6, We know our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. So we don't need, as Paul says, to live according to the flesh. Verse 12, we are debtors. Think obligation. Paul has explained, you are justified by faith. You don't need to do it by works. You are made a child of God. You have no, zero obligation to live according to the flesh, but rather by the power of the Spirit, we put it to death. And as you're encouraged to put the flesh to death, to be led by the Spirit, I also caution you because I have within me this desire to have control. Maybe you do too, where you read something like this and then you find yourself going home with your sermon notes, your checklists, and you're like, now I've got it. Now I know what to do. I put the flesh to death, I follow the Spirit, and then I've got it. But the problem with that mentality is the focus. I, I, I. You can't put the flesh to death by the power of the flesh. It is the power of the Spirit as you allow Him to lead, not passively, but actively following His leadership and allowing Him to empower you. So here's a couple of examples of what this might look like or how it looks in my life. So, when I allow the Holy Spirit to lead, there are times when I know there is something I ought to do and my flesh is 100% not wanting to do it. For example, sometimes I need to apologize. I say things, I do things that hurt people, and that's okay within friends or even on staff. It's not too hard, but if it's in your own family, ouch. And if it's one of your own kids that you need to apologize to, Maybe you're more sanctified than I am, but in my pride, that is hard to do. Just getting the words out of my mouth, I'm sorry. It's not easy, but by the power of the Spirit, I can say to myself, and I did this week, I will follow if you give me the strength, and then you apologize. Or it could be maybe there's a a secret sin that's been going on in your life and you are feeling that slavery to fear creep back in. You're free, you're a child of God, but you've been enslaved to something. Again, and maybe the Holy Spirit is impressing upon your heart, you need to go to that trusted believer, a mentor, a pastor, your mom or your dad, and just say, here's what's been going on. And you know what? You don't need to confess to be forgiven because you talk to Jesus and he forgives you. But maybe the Holy Spirit convicts you so that you confess to somebody else so that they can help you, so that you're free from the burden of that shame and that secret. And maybe that's where you put to death the deeds of the flesh by following the Spirit. Or on a positive note, you follow the Spirit when He prompts you to give someone an encouragement. You see that someone is is living well or serving well or loving well, and then you go and you share that encouragement with them. 
If you're wondering what the, the fruit of the Spirit is, check it out in Galatians 5. We have so much encouragement in these verses from the Spirit. We are led from, from death to life, from, death, from slavery to adoption. But we also see the Holy Spirit leads the believer from destitution to riches. We know that in our own sin, we are dead, that we can do nothing good, and quite frankly, this is a picture of death and it has no wealth within itself. Some people have the nerve to call it a bearded stick. Yes, we in our own flesh got nothing. But if you are a believer in Jesus, what does it say about you? And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In our culture and society, typically we think that means that when mom or dad or whomever, my rich uncle, dies, then I get their stuff. God isn't going to die and leave you heaven to move into. But rather, everything that is his is yours. Every, all the riches of God's grace, it says in Philippians 4 and 19, is yours. More than that, in, in 1 Peter 1.4, it talks about how there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And when, we, when Christ returns or when we pass away and we go to be with the Father, there is an unimaginable amount of riches for eternity that because we are a believer and in Christ are ours, we are heirs. And the verse finishes by saying, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Now, depending on where you're at in your life experiences, your walk with Jesus, that sounds maybe discouraging. I will be an heir if I suffer? Come back to that. But if your life experiences are such that you're like, yeah, I'm suffering. And I'd be naive to think that there isn't a number of us in this room enduring suffering on some level, in some way, and hearing from Scripture that as we endure suffering, there is a hope. You will be glorified with Christ. But furthermore, know that you are in good company in this moment. If you are in Christ, what was His pattern of life? What does he promise to us? That there will be suffering. Jesus walked the road of suffering. The ultimate suffering was ultimately glorified. And if we are in Christ, why would we expect no less? In this life, we will have suffering. But we have hope that we will be glorified with him. This idea from Apostle Paul that if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit you don't need to live according to the flesh. You have been brought from death to life, from slavery to adoption, from destitution to riches. And I've invited some friends tonight. They're going to come on out, and they're going to help us visualize a little bit better the truth of what this means for us today. What? You're free to go. You're free to leave. This prison cell, these chains, you're free to go. Really? How? You're free. Oh, sorry. Wait. 
What? The trial is over. The judge didn't condemn you. He declared you innocent. I can't believe it. I know. I've been here for so long. I've been in this prison cell for so long. Not anymore. You're good to go. Thank you. I appreciate all that you've done. Absolutely. Let's go. Where? Are you kidding? Anywhere you want. But I just made some tea. What? Want some? No. What happened to this prison cell? It's like you moved in here. I had just a few small comforts from home. But this isn't a home. This is a... It's a prison. You hung pictures? Well, yeah. You see, they're a little crooked. I can't seem to get them straight. I don't think you heard me right. I did. I did. I'm free, and I can't believe it. You don't have to stay here anymore. But, okay, I know. I just got this chair. It, it reclines. If you want to try it out, you can. No. Well, you want some tea? No. No. I don't think you understand. This is a new season, a new year. You don't have to stay here. You can start over. You can leave. Well, a new season. I know. It's amazing. I thank you guys so much. What are you doing? Aren't you going to leave? Well, no. I, I want my, my tea in my recliner. This is a prison cell. This is your chance to get out of here. I know I will. Soon. There's more. Outside is freedom. I know. I'm just really comfortable at the moment. So I'm going to take a quick nap, and then I'll leave. You're not obligated anymore, if you are a believer in Jesus, to live according to the flesh. And it's not in your own umpta, as we Minnesotans like to say, to put it to death, but it's by the power of the Spirit that you can live and walk in new life. So to what are you obligated this morning? Are you coming into this this space, this place? Are you tuning in online, identifying more with the guy stuck in the prison cell? Maybe you've, you've thought about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, but you've had your doubts and you've kept God's invitation at bay. My, I beg you, don't walk out of this place. Don't turn off your internet browser before you take the opportunity to confess your faith, your need for forgiveness to Jesus. We heard about VBS just briefly ago. And I heard, have had many emails in the years from parents who came to VBS and they would say, you know, thank you, my, my child is asking me to read the Bible and they've been teaching me this, this gospel hand. How many of you kids in this room remember the gospel hand? It's a good reminder for adults too. It's simply this, God loves me. I have sinned. Christ died for me. If I believe, I can be in God's family. Don't walk out of this place without being sure that you understand and you believe in those things. And maybe that is you, and you rejoice in your forgiveness, but like our friends stuck in the prison cell, sometimes we get comfortable with our sins. 
Do you need to come forward after communion and receive prayer that these bondages would be broken, that the idols would fall, that you could be led by the Spirit in His freedom as the Holy Spirit would lead you, a believer, from death to life, from slavery to adoption and from destitution to riches?